0: John chapter 9. Last week as we began to look at this, Jesus seems leaving the temple precincts and sees a man born blind. He sees that. And his disciples ask, somehow it becomes a dialogue, who sinned that this man was born blind? Him or his parents? And Jesus answered and says, neither. The man didn't sin, his parents didn't sin, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him, I must work the works of God while it is day, because the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And he says to the man, he takes, makes mud out of spittle, anoints his eyes and said, go on down to the pool of Siloam and wash. And the man goes down, he washes, and it says he comes seeing. And it tells us then his neighbors get around him. <clears throat> and there's a big hubbub. Is this the guy? You know, he sat here his whole life, you know, begging. We've known him. He's been blind his whole life. And some said, nah, it can't be. It's just somebody who resembles him. And the guy's saying, no, no, it's me. It's me. What a bummer. You can finally see and nobody recognizes you. <clears throat> So then they say, well, what happened? He said, well, there's a man called Jesus. He told me to go wash in Siloam. I wash and I come back seeing. So they said, where is he? He said, I don't know. I've never seen him before. What kind of question is that? And it's brought us to verse 13 then where it says, and they brought to the Pharisees him that had aforetime he was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said unto them, he put clay on my eyes, I washed and do see. His renditions are getting shorter here. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man referring to Jesus, is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others, Alon, of the same kind, other Pharisees said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them, a schisma. John's word for miracles here is signs. It's translated, how can a man do such signs? And that's what John is putting before us. And then they said unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? And he said, Well, he's a prophet. And the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son? Did you say he was born blind? The second part's a question as well. How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth? We know not. Or who opened his eyes? We know not. He's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. He was blind. He's not dumb. He's able to speak. Talk to him. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, because for the Jews already agreed that if any man did confess that he was Messiah, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind, And said unto him, they put him under an oath, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he said, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they unto him again, what did he do to you? How opened your eyes? He said to them, I've told you already. You did not hear. Wherefore would you have, do you want to hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? And they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. And we know that God spake unto Moses, As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. And the man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is an amazing thing. Isn't this marvelous? that you don't know where this man is from, yet he's opened my eyes. Now, we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man is a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he hears. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And they answered and said unto him, You were all born in sin. And do you teach us? And they threw him out. Just save the rest for next week. Hopefully the rapture will come before that. It's, this is an interesting picture. You know, I go through it and I think, it sounds like John was there. He may have been eyewitness to this. We know that when Jesus is being brutalized leading up to his crucifixion, that John enters into the house of Caiaphas. Caiaphas knew his family, so he may have some access here. And Jesus wants us to know the story. He could have moved right on to the end here, but he gives us this long picture of what's taking place in regards to his love for mankind and his ministry And Judaism, which was suffering from, um, Warren Wiersbe says, it's not hardening of the arteries, it's hardening of the categories. And that's what religion and churches get afflicted with. And the law had become something that it wasn't supposed to be. John, when he began the gospel, said he came unto his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. He said the law came to us through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there's this contest. Now, the neighbors, it says, they took him. There's the they in verse 12. There's the they back in verse 10. There's the they in 12. So th- that they, that's the grammar, they brought him to the Pharisees that was a four-time blind. We don't know if that's directly connected. It happens the same day. Does it happen the next day? It's hard to be dogmatic about the time sequence. I kind of believe this is all flowing. They bring them to the Pharisees. Their motive, we're not sure. Do they think, we never heard anything like this before? This guy's born blind. He received his sight. We need to go to the religious leaders. Was it a positive attitude? Or were they legalistic as well, thinking, I don't know, is this kosher? This guy got healed? Well, they go to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the largest uh, sect of religious Judaism at this point, and I believe had the largest portion of the Sanhedrin, though the Sanhedrin was ruled by the Sadducees. And the Pharisees were the conservatives. They were orthodox. They were the ones who wanted to preserve the scripture. But again, by this time, they weren't conservatives. They were preservatives. And they had lost the reality of what the scripture had to say. In fact, most of them had the first five books of Moses memorized. And over and over again, Jesus, when he addressed them, would say, have you never read? It's so funny. I don't think they liked it at all. Whenever he said that, (laughs) have you never read? So here they take this man to the Pharisees. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked in perfect tense, they began to ask and continued asking him how, and we have the word how four times in the chapter, how he had received his sight. He said to them, Now the, the story again keeps getting shorter. He proclaimed my eyes, I washed and I see. You know this is this guy's kind of bummed it 's the first time he's seen he 's seen the sky he 's seen voices with faces that he recognized you know he 's seen flowers he 's seen mount of olivet he's seen you know and now he keeps getting drugged into these situations no, no doubt he's not real impressed and doesn't want to see these guys, <clears throat> but they say, "How what happened how did he and he tells them. And therefore said, they continued to say, some of the Pharisees, this man, referring to Jesus, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others, alos, others of the same kind, other Pharisees continued saying, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a schism among them, they were divided, just like so much of the church today. Sadly, is divided over moral issues, over gender issues, over all kinds of the Word of God being the the inspired, inerrant Word of God, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. The church is divided over this. In England, it's against to you, if you have a Christian broadcast, you are not allowed to say in England, Jesus is the only way. Canada won't let focus on the family broadcast in the country. They have to set up their transmitters on the border and transmit into the country. And you and I are taking more and more heat if we say, I don't know all that stuff. I just know one thing. I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. Yeah, you know all this other stuff. I don't know none of that stuff. I just know one thing. And they're mad at us because we know one thing. If we said we don't know nothing like them, they'd be happy. So, the Sabbath day. Jesus tells us, Paul tells us, that the Sabbath was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The Sabbath and the law were never supposed to, you know, provide righteousness in our lives. The law didn't do that. The law was there to show us that we are lawbreakers so that we would need the sacrificial system. We need Christ. Jesus does seven miracles on the Sabbath day, deliberately, obviously. <clears throat> he heals the man with a withered hand in the Capernaum synagogue. Mark 1, early, verse 21, the demoniac is there, dealt with in the synagogue. Peter's mother-in-law is healed on the Sabbath day. The woman bent over in the synagogue is healed on the Sabbath day. Luke chapter 14, Dr. Luke tells us it was a man with dropsy, that was healed on the Sabbath day. Earlier in John's gospel, the paralytic was healed at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day, and they want to kill him because of that. And now here in chapter 9, and we're only six months from the crucifixion, this is probably the last of those miracles that he deliberately did on the Sabbath day, and it's in regard to this man born blind. Now, the Pharisees say... This man can't be of God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Because in their minds, the two dominant schools were Shammai and Hillel. Shammai said, the law is what's supreme, and it doesn't matter what you do, it can't supersede the law. Hillel said, you have to judge by what takes place, whether it's broken the law or not. If there's if there's been an act of mercy, something important has happened that doesn't break the Sabbath. So they're divided. To most of the Pharisees, he's broken the Sabbath in three ways. Uh, One, he made mud. You weren't allowed to do that. You were allowed to spit on a rock on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to spit on the dirt because if your spit rolled and made a furrow, you were plowing. You weren't allowed to spit and make mud. That was mortar. You were creating mortar. You weren't allowed then to apply it to somebody's eyes. You weren't allowed to do that on the Sabbath. And then lastly, he healed the man on the Sabbath. And the law that this school of Judaism, the Pharisees had, is the only thing you're allowed to do in regards to healing on the Sabbath is if you're preserving life. If a man is bleeding out, you can put a tourniquet on him, but he can't get stitches till the next day. If a guy breaks his bone, you can't do anything because he'll live till the next day when he can get a cash and can set the bone. They were very strict. Now, Jesus, right from the beginning, bangs head with those. When he heals the man with the withered hand, he says, You guys, <clears throat> if your donkey or your ox or your sheep fall into a pit on a Sabbath day, you're allowed to drag it out. But if a human being who's created in God's image falls into some kind of a problem on the Sabbath, we're not allowed to help them? He calls them hypocrites. He tells them when his disciples were going through the grain field, and they're finding problem with them plucking grain on the Sabbath, he said, look, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Trust me, I was there. The Sabbath was made for man. And he said, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath, Lord Seboeth. So there's this constant jerking back and forth between the religious system and the reality of God's love. It's all around us today. It hasn't stopped. How many of us came out of a religious system? And our religious relatives, our spouses, our friends still think we've lost our minds. You're up the meter factory. You're not doing this, you're not doing that, you're not, you know. And and they don't know the difference between religion, which is from the Latin word "relingere" and it means to relink. And religion is man's effort to relink with a holy God that's unapproachable because we're born sinners. So God came, John says, and tabernacled among us. He put on human skin and walked among us, he did the religious part. He relinked so that now we can have relationship and not religion. You know, we, Kathy and I raised four kids. I don't want religion with them. You know, I don't want them to come once, once a week into my bedroom and, you know, genuflect and then leave. That's not a relationship. I want to be with them when they laugh, when they cried, when they did something wrong, when they did something Right. I want to have joy and tears and whatever life brings together. That's why he came. That was lost in Eden when Adam sinned. The heart of God is to restore that. So they say this man can't be of God because he wouldn't do this on the Sabbath. Others, no doubt Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, there are others who say, well, how how can somebody open the eyes of the blind if God isn't with them? And there's a schism, there's a division. So then they turn back to the blind man again and they say, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? What do you have to say about him now that he's done this? And he said, He's a prophet. Now he's thinking, his wheels are turning. He has no theological position when his sight is received. He's broadening what he perceives of Jesus as the chapter goes on. Finally, he's going to say, I believe you're the son of God, Lord, by the end of the chapter. So here he says, uh, he's a prophet. And, you know, in his mind, he's thinking, well, Elijah, and Elisha did miracles, Um. He must be a prophet. He must be, you know, a messenger from God that he's doing things. That's what I think. I think he's a prophet. And it says, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. What a bummer, you know, the day after years you receive your sight, they won't believe you that you were blind. Until they called the parents of him that received his sight, and they asked them, there's three parts of the question here, is this your son? Number one. You say he was born blind. There's a question mark. Is that true? And then thirdly, how does he now see? This is what we wonder. We don't know. He came back from the pool of Siloam, came up back into the city to his neighborhood. His neighbors see him. They're all around him. There's a big hubbub. They take him to the Pharisees. Had he made it home? Is this the first time he sees his mother and father? Does he hear her voice? This is our son. We know he was blind. How he sees, we don't. They, they, he knew that voice from a child, is he all of a sudden looking at this woman and looking at this man and understanding, this is my parents. They've been drugged into this. His parents answered well the question now. Well, we know that this is our son. No, know, We know that intuitively. There's no doubt, this is our son. And we know he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we don't, we don't know that until we don't have a full knowledge of that. We know not. Or who hath opened his eyes? We know. Oh, you yeah, we know not. He is of age. There's an imperative. You must ask him. He can speak. His problem was he couldn't see. He'll talk. He's talked all these years. Now, some people wonder, and I've wondered, is there cowardice here on the part of the parents? You know, uh, yeah, we know this is our son. We know he was blind, but we don't have any idea what happened or, or how he's seeing. Verse 22 said, These words spake his parents because, tells us, they feared the Jews. Here's the reason. For the Jews had already agreed. So somewhere previous to this, maybe after John 5, the idea is the Jews, no doubt part of the Sanhedrin being involved in that, they've already made a decision that if anybody says that Jesus is Messiah, that he's put out of the synagogue. Put out of the synagogue is one word in the Greek. It's apo the The idea is you're de-synagogued you know you're cut off so the parents there's several things going on one is by the by the letter of the law they were only allowed to say this is our son and we know he was born blind because they were not eyewitnesses of the other part of it so legally they were allowed to say he's of age he must testify of this this is the other part of this ask him And they're standing in front of the most regal, august, wealthy group of people they probably ever stood in front of. We assume that the parents are impoverished to some degree because their son is a beggar. They're not taking care of him at home. No doubt, seeing their son there, seeing, you know, this is the richest day of their life in many ways. And they're being threatened. And they say, you've got to ask him. And they fear because they know, because the the Sanhedrin, look, you know, you look at a big organization like the Catholic Church. I mean, there's the Vatican. But then there's bishops in different areas that can disagree with the Vatican, some of that. In Judaism, there was one Sanhedrin. There was one place, Jerusalem, where the sacrifices had to take place. And that group, the Sanhedrin, had jurisdiction over all of the synagogues in all of the world. And whatever they said, that was the law. And evidently, they had already made a decision which went filtered down to all the synagogues. If anybody says that Jesus is Messiah, they're out. They're gone. Now, there were three levels of excommunication The Talmud, Babylonian and Jerusalem Talmud tell us, the first was if somebody committed a certain sin, somebody did something against the law, the first level of excommunication is they were put out for 30 days. During that 30 days, they couldn't take a bath. They couldn't sit next to anybody in their family, not allowed to go to a funeral, not allowed to go to a wedding. They were only not allowed out of their house. They only could have immediate contact with family members who had to stay four foot away. They could eat at the table. Everybody in the family had to stay away from them. The second level of excommunication was 60 days. And after 60 days, all of those things were in place. After 60 days, they were re-examined. And if they felt that this person was still a violator... Then the permanent, the ban was applied, the permanent excommunication was applied. Interesting, if a rabbi sinned at the level of excommunication, they, they beat him. They took him out and scourged him, and then he was allowed back in the pulpit next Saturday. I don't know which one's better, I think I'd rather sit alone for a month than get scourged. But the last level, which seems to me here, Apo, they are de-synagoguing those, means if you work for a Jew, you are fired. If you're a Jewish man with a business, no one would work for you. You couldn't come to your own home. You couldn't come to any of the, the feast. You couldn't come to the temple. You were, the, the Jewish world was a community in many ways. You were completely cut off. You had nothing. That's the environment that this whole scene is pitched against for us. And this blind guy's thinking, well, I, I don't know. He, he opened my eyes. I, I read in Isaiah, well, he didn't read. I heard in Isaiah thirty-five, forty-two that when Messiah comes and sets up his kingdom, he's going to open the eyes of the blind. Now, in that Judaism he was living in, they were telling him, you sinned, or your parents sinned, or prenatal sinned. That's why you're blind. God is getting you. But when he listened to the Word, and people with, with different ailments and disabilities listened so closely because there were these promises about Messiah kingdom: the kingdom, the lame shall leap, and the deaf shall hear, and the mute shall sing, and the blind shall see. He's thinking, well, but when Messiah comes, he's not going to tell me you were blind because you were born in sin. He's going to open my eyes. He's going to open. So they say, well, who does he said, A prophet. Must have been a prophet. He listened to Isaiah. listened to what somebody you know. So then they pu- pull the parents in. Is this your kid? <laughs> and was he born blind? We know that much for sure. This is our son. He was born blind. But beyond that, we don't have any pertinent information for the court. Uh, We don't know. Ask him. He can talk. He's an adult. They said that because they were afraid... Because one of the, the Talmud lists 24 reasons for excommunication. And one of them made was if the religious court had made a decision and you didn't abide by it, it was one of the reasons for excommunication. So they said, you have to ask him, don't ask us. And it says, there was a fear of man brings a snare. We know that, but trusting the Lord establishes. Therefore said his parents, he's of age, again imperative, you must ask him. Then again, they called the man that was blind. You think what a bummer. They're bringing this guy back in now. And they said unto him, now they put him under an oath. Give God the praise, it's King James, doxa, it's glory. Give God the glory. And, and that's an imperative. You must give God the glory. They're putting him under oath. We know, complete knowledge, that this man is a sinner. That's one thing we know for sure. We know this man is a sinner. And he answered and said unto them, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know for sure. One thing I know for sure, that whereas I was blind, now I see. He's refusing to let go of the center of what's happened in his life through Christ, to bow the knee to any of the religious stuff that is around him. And it's so important we do that. Look, you can do all the religious stuff and forget about why that all started. Jesus tells us in Revelation chapter 2, I have somewhat against thee because you have left your first love. I remember when I got saved. That's all I knew. That's all I knew. I was blind. Now I see. I remember getting saved night, 2 o'clock in the morning, wherever time it was. And the next day getting up, and the sky was blue. It had always been blue. I'd never seen it before. The trees were blowing in the wind. They were beautiful trees. They'd always been there. I just never seen them before. The birds were singing. It was amazing. They were always there doing that. I just never seen it. And how many of us were brought into the light? We know our sin is gone. We know God loves us. Well, our theology is not all put together. I and mean, we should do that as time goes on. But we're not willing to... I've I've been blind my whole life. You expect me to let go of the one who opened my eyes? You must be crazy. He never allowed himself to be drawn away from Christ. He was not a philosopher. He was a witness. He was not a theologian. He was a convert. And more than that, he had been blind. He never saw their robes before. He never seen them all dressed up with their regal apparel. He never saw all their pajamas before. He was not impressed. To him that day, the sky was more beautiful than the Pharisees. The trees and the wind were more beautiful than the Pharisees. And, and you know, he said, Look, I don't know. You, you guys think you know he's a sinner? I don't know that, whether he's a sinner or not. But I do know this I was blind, and now I see. Every one of us in this room should know that. I was blind, now I see. I mean, I was raised in re- religious systems, I'm sure you were too. My dad was a Catholic. Not a believer. My mom was a Lutheran. She wasn't a believer. They both were when they went to be with the Lord at the end of their lives, but they weren't. And I remember the first time I saw my parents. This is the first time you've seen them again. Uh, I thought, first of all, I wasn't really happy with them. They were definitely Pharisees, even though they didn't know it. And I was a maniac. Uh, broke their hearts. I remember when I got saved and I looked at them, I thought, Lord, forgive me. I have driven these poor people crazy that have fed me and taken care of me and put clothes for me. I have I've, I've, I've tortured them. Lord, would you forgive me? It was between me and the Lord because I saw them. I was blind, but all of a sudden, I saw. I saw the future. I knew heaven was in front of me. I saw my sins were forgiven. I saw that Jesus loved me. And this guy's there. He says, I I don't know. All the stuff you're asking me, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I just know this. I was blind, and now I see. Now, they're going to throw him out. You know, uh, Paul, when he writes to, well, my opinion. Paul, when he writes to the Hebrews, says, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For there have, here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Paul said we should be willing to step outside of this religiosity to maintain our relationship with him. It's better to be outside the church with Jesus than inside the church without Jesus. Okay? And again, we're still surrounded by religious systems. You know, there are some people that think, you know, and they can be very legalistic. The church should exercise church discipline. It, 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 you know, it, it helps produce a healthy body. And when we have to do that, and it's rare, and put someone out, the goal of that, we even let them know, is restoration. But then there's a whole nother part of the church... The only one they want to get rid of is you. It's okay for people to sleep with who they want to sleep with and smoke whatever they want to smoke and snort whatever they want to snort and do whatever they want to do with their gender and do all this stuff. That's a happy church. It's for nice people and nice things to say and it's a nice church and you are ruining it because you know that you were blind and now you see. There's a whole other part of the church, that what are you going to do with this? So as we look at this model here, it's always been the model. There have always been religious systems that have tried to strangle the work of God. And it's so, so interesting. The Lord pulls back and gives us all these details. He's not involved in the dialogue here. He just gives us a picture of everything that takes place till the guy comes to him at the end of the chapter. He says, "I know this. I was blind. Now I see." Mimi, you're empty here today. You're broken. Your life is a wreck. You have no hope. Religion has done nothing for you. What is telling us here is a blind man, or woman can have their eyes open. Someone who thinks they see feel like they don't need a remedy. And he's actually going to say that to them at the end of the chapter. You're broken. You're empty today. You're struggling. Suicide. Thinking suicide. Whatever it is. He'll open your eyes today. He'll open your eyes today. If you'll let him do that. That's who he is. He isn't who the religious people say that he is. He says to them, do you also want to be his disciples. He's had it with them now. Then they reviled him. I think it's used five times in the New Testament. Interesting word. You can study on your own. They reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but us, we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not, from where he is. We don't have a knowledge from where he is. Now, that's interesting. They couldn't figure out where he was from, but when John, early in his gospel, tells us there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So it isn't like nobody in the religious system has any sense of what's going on. In every religious system, there are people there, no doubt, that are taking hold of things, that are seeing light. He says, he says as for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. Nicodemus is going, I vain. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing. Isn't this amazing? That you don't know where he is from, yet he's opened my eyes. Where do you think he's from? Hell? He's opened my eyes. Now, we, he includes himself with the Pharisees, we know completely, we know that God Heareth not sinners. Heareth is, is not hearing. It's not what God is doing, sinners. But if a man be a worshiper of God and is doing God's will, him, that's the person he is hearing. He's not hearing. Now, understand, he's not saying here, John, that God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners that come to him in repentance and ask forgiveness and do that in faith. God hears the prayers of those sinners because he heard it in my life and he heard it in your life. Amen? Amen. And I'm thankful for that. What it's saying, though, is others who don't think they need God, who think they're righteous without him, who are sinners in that respect, they're going to do whatever they want to do and they worship the system more than the Lord. The house of the Lord more than the Lord of the house, then he doesn't hear the prayers. They would agree with that. He doesn't hear sinners. They taught that. Look, plainly, there are consequences. If you break the speed limit, you might end up in jail. If you drink too much alcohol, you might end up with cirrhosis of the liver. If you take drugs, you might die. There are consequences. He's not saying that. What he's saying is there are higher consequences because there are people who think they see and they don't know they're blind. And they live in their sin and God doesn't hear their prayers. So how did he hear the prayer of the guy who opened my eyes? If he's, he's putting a logic on them. They are now on trial, and the blind man is now the prosecutor. He's saying, well, this is a marvelous. Isn't this amazing? We don't know where he's from. I was blind this morning. Now I'm standing here talking to you guys. I see, and we don't know where he's from. We know that God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners, but he hears the prayers of those who worship him and do his will. Logic is... Jesus must be doing his will, because God heard his prayers and opened my eyes. Who's blind, me or you? You know, you say any of these guys. Then he says, and since the world began, the ionos, the, the, the beginning, the creation, from, the, from the, when the world began, it hasn't been heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. Nowhere in the Old Testament. Elijah raised the the widow of Zarephath, her son. Uh, There were miracles in the Old Testament. There's nowhere in the Old Testament that someone who was born blind received their sight. Nowhere. Because God was saving that credential for his son when he came into the world. He says, it's never heard. There's nowhere in our history, nowhere in the Old Testament, this has ever happened. That someone who was born blind has received their sight. If this man were not of God, he couldn't do anything. How could he ever do that? They're happy with that. They answered and said unto him, you were all together born in sin. And dost thou teach us? And they threw him out. Because religious systems have a lot of answers for our problems. You were born in sin. It's what his disciples said at the beginning. Lord, who was, you know, who sinned? This man when he was in the womb or his parents? Jesus said, no, that's that's not the deal here. These guys, you know, Psalm 51 verse 5 says, I'm born in sin, conceived in iniquity. Again, the religious Jews believed that, that, Jacob and Esau wrestled in the womb and there was covetousness involved and it was prenatal sin. They said, you're altogether born in sin and you think you can teach us? And they cast him out. Where he's going to go after this is way better than being there with them, though. (laughs) It has a great ending, the way it wraps up with the good shepherd and it brings us into that no chapter break when John wrote um, challenge for us, I think, look, um, all of us can be here and say we don't like phony religious stuff, and I'm with you. All, you know, all of us have a baloney meter, and it should go off at certain times. But on the other side of that, we need to make sure a baloney meter goes off when there's enough baloney going on in our own life. Jesus puts this in here, this long diatribe, these conversations, the parents, the blind men, the Pharisees. He paints a picture for us because he's saying to us, I don't want this. I, I don't need a religious system to have a relationship with my sons and daughters. This was an exercise in frustration. But what I do want... It's not religion, it's relationship. I want something genuine. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but everlasting life. The highest thing, you know, because you and I, we can go to God, ask him for this, ask him for that. And it says we should cast our care upon him. But the highest part of this in God's heart is communion, reconciliation. The thing that he lost in the garden when Adam sinned was open-faced communion with his image bearer. And what's most important to him today is not our religiosity, but our love for him because he loved us. And this long description of these things are given to us So we can watch this bantering back and forth with the religious world and realize things haven't changed. Things haven't changed. Jesus said, this man was born blind that the works of God may be made manifest in him to the man, to the disciples, to his neighbors, to the Pharisees, and to us this morning. He's the opener of our eyes. He gives not only sight, he gives light. And as the chapter moves forward, this man will see him next week if the Lord tarries. If not, you can talk directly to him yourself. But uh, more and more light comes to the man, how wonderfully as the chapter goes. Let's stand. Let's pray together. And look. Religious relatives love them, pray for them. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea come out of their steeped in the middle of this system. Joseph of Arimathea is called an honorable counselor. Those who studied the Talmud tells there were only 14 of those in the history of Israel. Remarkable man. And he steps aside from all that religious stuff to become a disciple at the loss of everything. We'll get there, I can't wait to get there. Well, I can, because I can't wait to get to chapter 10. I can, because I can't wait to get to chapter 9. But (laughs) Father, I know you've overheard, and I know, Lord, this. I hope it blesses you, Lord, that we love your word. That, Lord, that after all of these centuries, this man and this scene is still speaking to us, Lord, because you're speaking to us. And Lord, we pray you would sharpen that in our lives. You would help us cultivate... Lord, our relationship with you. The world around us demands so much. It's so noisy. It invades our lives and social media. And Lord, we are inundated. And we need your help. We need you to do the thing that startles us, Lord. That draws us back to you, Lord. That deepens our personal fellowship with you, Lord. We need You, Lord Jesus, to do that thing that so warms our heart, we don't let any of this other stuff pull us away, Lord. That we, Lord, the rest of our pilgrimage might continue to say, there's one thing I know. And Lord, let us say that. We look to you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.